You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. All right, y'all, let's crack open the book together. Revelation chapter three today. Um, As you're turning to Revelation chapter three, as you're turning there, we are, uh, next week we'll begin our fall sermon series together that we're calling Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Um, The reason we're digging into that, the reason you should care, if you will, is because we're, as a church, we're, we're about four years in, a little over four years in. And so now, now we're trying to go like, man, what does, um, what does it mean for us to live in health together? If you are, um, if you are a Christian, the health of the church is your problem, whether you knew it or not coming in this morning. And so we're going to try to dig in together and figure out what does it mean for us to pursue uh, the Lord together. Um, but today we have one more standalone message from Revelation chapter three. Um, once you make it there, it's the very last book of the Bible. So if you're just take a hard right turn, okay, if you're still looking, you're almost there. Um, will you go ahead and stand in reverence for the reading of God's word today? Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse seven. It says this, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews, but they are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Now, when we get into a book like Revelation, right, we, gotta, we, we need a little bit of context to know what we're talking about. Revelation has um, the reputation as the weird one, right? Um, some strange things happen in the narrative of Scripture, right? Namely, a man beats death. We believe that's actually true and happened in history. But you get to the book of Revelation, and we're reading what's called apocalyptic literature, which when you hear the word apocalypse in your and my Western minds, that's usually not a good thing 
right? That means, uh-oh, like everything's exploding, everything's the end, and Revelation is categorized as apocalyptic literature because it's talking about the end of the age. Um, to give you a theological word for that, that's called the eschaton, the end of the age. So um, the book of Revelation, it refers both to ancient events, but it's also looking forward to the end of all things when Jesus finally sets everything right. That moment is not scary bad news. That moment is beautiful good news. You feel this, whether you recognize it or not, on a daily basis. When you walk into your life and things are not as they should be and you're going, how long? That longing is the longing for the king to come and set everything straight. That's what that is. And, and the book of Revelation gives us a promise that um, Jesus, your king, who came as the, the, the one conquering sin and death, the savior of the world, that he will come again as the king to rule and reign. But it's not just that internal longing, right? It's, it's also you look around, you look at the culture, you look at the deterioration of the world. And you're, you're, you're looking around and at times, if you're anything like me, you're looking around, you're going, has the world literally, have we lost our minds? Like what is going on? That longing for redemption has been placed in you by God. And here's the good news. C.S. Lewis says this beautifully. He says, it's not that we desire too much from God. It's actually that we desire too little from him. Like the good news of that longing that you find in your chest this morning is that the king promises to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine in bringing redemption to this world. And so here in the early chapters of Revelation, this is Jesus talking to some churches in the ancient world. He's writing letters to him. Can you imagine if our church, if I came in and I said, hey, I got a a plume of smoke filled my house and Harry Potter style, a letter jammed in the front door. I pulled it out and Jesus has written a letter to New City Church. That's essentially what's happening here. Jesus is speaking to these churches and, and what he gives to this little church at Philadelphia is a word that should put deep courage and deep hope in a normal church like us. You see, when when life gets difficult, when it feels like the world is losing its mind, often two things happen. One, we go, how in the world can we make a difference? You ever feel that? Gosh, you're looking at the state of things and you're going, how in the world can we actually do anything meaningful in this situation? And then besides that, we also look inside ourselves and we go, what's going to actually count in the end? You ever feel that where you're looking at your life and you're going like, am I just on a hamster wheel that doesn't matter? Jesus in this text is telling us how a normal church and normal people can make an actual difference. When you're interpreting a passage of the Bible, it's helpful to look for repeated words or repeated phrases. 
And I don't know if you noticed it reading the text or not, but Jesus again and again and again, he says, behold, 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 over and over. When he's saying, here's what I care about. Here's, here's what matters to me. Here's what I see in you that I love. Again and again and again, he says, behold, behold, behold. What if, New City, it's not really a, a problem as much of what we do or if we pick this road or that road or the, the programs or the rhythms that we pick as a church, what if it's not a behavior problem? What if it's a beholding problem that we have? See, I think that's what Jesus wants to get us to here. He wants us to behold. Um, Christians, uh, this may be a people thing, but I can speak for sure for Christians. We have a, a tendency to be a navel-gazing people right? Things get difficult, life gets hard, and we just start looking down at our own belly buttons and going, how in the world are we going to survive this? But Jesus right here, he wants to get our eyes up to behold him. Like, you want to know what counts? You want to know how to make it in a day that's hard to make it? Behold the Lord Jesus. Here's really the main point I want you to get from all, all of this stuff I'm talking about from the text. Here it is. The church who keeps their eyes on Jesus will make an eternal difference. Like, how do we know what's gonna happen? What we're doing is gonna count? Keep our eyes on Jesus. That's all we gotta do. Keep our eyes on him. And so, friends, this morning, just four simple things from the text that I want us to behold. I want us to see about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done. I want us to remind one another this morning about how good he is. Goodness, I need that reminder this morning. I need it. First thing from the text I want us to behold, behold his heart. Look at verse seven in the text. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the holy one, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. You notice here, Jesus is introducing himself to this church. And he is giving us these little phrases to describe his heart. Um, when, when I use the word heart, don't, don't picture Valentine's sort of touchy-feely heart. I want you to think his very essence, who he is. Like if you want to know who a person is, you're looking for their heart. That's the idea. And when Jesus introduces himself to this church, look what he says. The words of who? The Holy One. You know what it means that Jesus is holy? He is altogether different. He's set apart, and goodness, that's good news, because if you've been in a relationship with another person, you know what you know? People fail you, they disappoint you, they let you down, they overpromise and they underdeliver, and they do all of that on their most well-meaning best behavior. <laughs> what do we do on our worst behavior? <laughs> We let each other down. We have a lot of evidence when we look at people around us that, goodness, we are, we are not holy. We're not different. We're not set apart. But Jesus, the most definitive mark of who he is is that he is not like the people that let you and me down. Now, he is truly a person. The scriptures teach he is fully God and fully man. But he's not a man like you and me have seen it done or done it ourselves. He is altogether different. That's the kind of king that won't let you down. 
That's the kind of king that you can follow into battle because you know he's not gonna crumble or fall back when things get difficult. He is holy. Holy in the Old Testament also comes with this picture of purity. Jesus is pure. He's pure. That's your Lord. The most pure being in the universe, the one who has never messed up, Guess what? He sees all of your sin, all of your unholiness, and he still chooses to attach himself to you. Like, goodness, if you and me get, get perfect holiness, if we nail it, you know what we're going to probably do? We're going to take it, keep it for ourselves, and use it to throw lightning bolts at other people, aren't we? Now, certainly at the end of the age, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. That's true. But for all who trust in him, you know what he wants to do? He wants to take his holiness and cover you with it. The text says he is the true one. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, I tell the truth. He says, I am the true one. What a phrase. He doesn't lie. There's a song we sing here fairly regularly, and in, in the bridge it says, you've never made a promise you can't keep. You won't lie to me. In a world of both big lies and little white lies, where so often we angle to try to make ourselves look a little better to one another, right? That's actually called lying, right? Like, I don't, I'm not really a liar, I just lie sometimes. Uh. We're guilty, okay? Not Jesus. He tells the truth. And you, you need a predictable Lord. We desperately need a predictable, trustworthy Lord. And good news, friends, you have him. He says, who has the key of David. This may seem like a strange and cryptic phase. This phrase, this is Jesus hearkening back to the Old Testament. He's saying, I am the promised deliverer. Um, who uh, uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures say that the throne of King David will never end. And then the prophecies about the one who would come to deliver the people of God, that he was going to sit on the throne of David. Jesus is saying right here, I am that deliverer. I am that redeemer and Messiah. I am that rescuer. You have a rescuing redeemer this morning, New City. And then he finishes the verse by saying, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. This is Jesus saying, he has all authority, right? We find this here and in the Great Commission when he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What this means is that when Jesus speaks, it is not good advice or suggestion. He is the king. He has all authority. And now we may look at the world right now and go like, man, his, he's not very good at authority because people are doing all kinds of things that he would reject or hate. The end of the age is coming, right? Just because Jesus is slow in his execution of judgment does not mean that he will not judge evil, that he will not set everything right, that he is not setting everything right. Whether his authority is acknowledged right now or not, he is in charge everywhere.
So Jesus chooses to introduce himself this way, the Holy One, the true one, the key of David who can open the door. Why in the world does all of this matter? Here's why it matters. If you start to live as a Christian, if we try to be a church and we forget who we're talking to, if we forget who he is, you know what I can guarantee? You're going to lose heart. You're going to quit. And you're not just going to quit church, but you're going to quit Jesus because he, quote unquote, didn't work. How do you know if you're losing heart? Gosh. Your life is marked by cynicism. You see, you see the work of God around you and, and you always go like, well, yeah, but. Cynicism creeping into your heart. You've forgotten who you're talking to. If you're cynical about the work of God, you know what? You have forgotten that there is a king who is actually making all things right. You've forgotten. And maybe it's not cynicism for you. Maybe it's indifference. Oh, you ever looked, looked at Jesus and been like, I mean, I can take him or leave him. Can I suggest to you this morning that your vision of the king has been lost? The, the king isn't the problem. You're just not seeing him. And what if this morning he wants to catch your gaze again? He wants you to see who he is, that he, he set apart. You can trust him. He wants you to remember who he is. How vivid is your view of the Savior's heart this morning. Scripture wants to remind you of his heart. It's not just his heart we see in this text, my friends. We also see the next thing I want you to behold is his scorecard. His scorecard. You've got a scorecard for your life, whether you know it or not. You've got a list in your head, whether you've written it down or not, that says this is a good life. This is what it means to win. Knowing the scorecard that actually matters is really important. Mm -hmm. It's really important. I uh, played basketball until I was in the fourth grade, and then I just, I didn't have the gift, and so I was like, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. <laughs> and uh, so I, I remember I would, I would stand at practice, and uh, it was before I hit my growth spurt, so I had gained a little bit of that just little boy weight that's part of growing up, and, and so I didn't like to run, and I, uh, I didn't like to be yelled at, and so that meant basketball was just not the right game for me, okay? That's a big part of what it means to, to do the deal, and so I remember I only scored one goal in a basketball game, and I was tall, so everybody expected me. They saw me walk out, and they were like, oh, this kid's a bruiser. He was not, okay? And uh, I only scored one goal in a, in a game. Um, is it a game? Yes. yes okay. I haven't gained any further knowledge since fourth grade, okay, on this particular issue. And so, anyway, it was a practice game. It was a scrimmage in practice. And uh, I'm, I'm down under the hoop, and uh, the ball sort of lands in my lap, and I grab it, and I break away from all of the other players. And it was awesome. I remember thinking as I was dribbling down the court, I look really cool right now. <laughs> and so I go up, and I, I put a layup up, and I make it. 
and I celebrate dramatically, okay? Like I dance it out, I'm, go I'm really going after it, I'm shouting, I'm screaming, I feel pretty good about what I've done. And then the coach, he goes, Vulcany, it's the wrong goal. The, the reason I was able to break away from all the other players is because I was shooting in the wrong goal, right? And so, did I make it? Yes. Who did I score a point for? The opposing team. <laughs> shooting at the right target matters, does it not? Having the right scorecard matters. Well, what's Jesus' scorecard? What does he care about? Look at verse eight. I know your works. Jesus knows this church. He knows our church. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. After all the dust settles, what does Jesus look at and say, that? That's what I wanted. Was it, was it power and cultural influence? Was it number of people? Was it the amount of dollars given to humanitarian causes? Was it the amount of small groups? Or personally, was it that you, you read your Bible every day in the exact same spot? Or was it um, that you said enough prayer? Like what really matters to Jesus at the end of the age? He tells us, he looks at this church and he says, you don't have power. You don't have the thing that the world looks at and says, this is what makes you matter. And yet, you have kept my word. That's obedience. This little church with no power, they obeyed Jesus in the face of great opposition. Did you notice later on in the, in the text, he talks about, um, the synagogue of Satan. He's talking about a group, a, a sort of Jewish sect that has cropped up that is persecuting this church, who is hammering them. And he's saying in the face of that kind of opposition and difficulty, you stood firm in obedience. Do you know you can live a consequential life regardless of your circumstances if you obey the king? Like if you follow him, you kept my words. You have not denied my name. You know what that translates to? Courage. You know how easy it is to deny Jesus's name right now? And what, what I'm not talking about is the copy and fa paste Facebook post that says, I know not many of my friends will copy and paste and repost this. But I love the Lord, so copy and paste. No, 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 I'm talking about when you're at your job and you being open about your faith or encouraging people in prayer is gonna cost you the promotion. I'm talking about where the sparks fly. Jesus looks at courage and he loves it. But let's chat for a second. Have you tried to have courage before? See, in the movies, courage looks like unflinching resolve. 
It's like, man, you just, the hero kicks the door open and saves the girl and swings out on a rope as the explosion happens. But you know what real courage looks a lot more like? It looks like knocking knees of running into the room going, I don't want to be in this room. I don't want to be in this room. Grabbing the girl and then throwing yourselves out of a window. Like courage probably looks a lot more like that for most of us than it does this beautiful bravado. Courage is not about not being scared. Courage is about doing it scared. And you know what? If you're in the room this morning, you're going, man, I'm really bad at obedience, and I feel like I don't have any courage. Like every time my courage is tested, I reach for it, and there's nothing there. Do you know what the Lord loves to do? He loves to supply courage for people who are afraid. He loves to do it. So this morning, I want to encourage you, if you lack courage, if you lack resolve, if, you, if you're going, man, my scorecard is everything other than obedience and courage, and I don't know how to get there, this morning, what if Jesus wants to just give you a gift of courage? That's his scorecard, my friends. That's a scorecard. Last thing I want to say on this, this point is that most of the time, Jesus doesn't have the measuring tape next to your life that you think he does. Most of us intuit that he cares about something that that's not actually what he cares about. And so how do we know? We got to go to the book. We got to go to the book. It's as simple as that. If you want to know what Jesus cares about, go here, go here. All right, point number three. Behold his provision. I want you to see how Jesus provides for this church. In verse nine, it says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Again, the, the persecution is ramping up. This church is facing real difficulty. And as the persecution ramps up, what happens but that the grace of the Lord Jesus also ramps up at the same time? Don't miss this new city. The best place to see the provision of God is in the face of opposition. I mean, if you lack nearness and intimacy with God, go try to have some courage out in the world. I promise it'll come. It'll come because when you get out there where the sparks fly and you have to trust him, when if he doesn't show up, you're gonna look like a fool and fall on your face, guess what happens? That's the place he shows up. He loves to do it. Look how Jesus provides for his people when they're opposed. He says, I'm gonna make them come and bow down before you. They're gonna know that I have loved you. You need to hear this. Some of you need to believe it and take this into your soul this morning. At the very end, you will be justified by Jesus. 
Like if at every turn, if the whole world around you is going, man, you are, you are on the wrong side of history on literally everything. You can stand on the wrong side of history and the right side of Jesus, and I promise you, he's gonna carry you through to the end. The world will know that not that you love him, but that he has loved you. That's a beautiful thing. And he says, he will keep them from the hour of trial that is coming. He's gonna keep you from buckling under the pressure. You and I are gonna need that in the coming season. Like goodness, friends, we're about to have, some, some of you are already moving back, right, um, to, to be on campus. Next week, we're about to have a flood of people in our city. And there are going to be people who are hurting and struggling and in difficulty, and people who have complicated and, dare I say, even aggressively opposed relationship to Jesus and the church. Like, to love someone that doesn't want to be loved takes a lot of courage. It's not easy. And the Lord's going to provide. The Lord's going to stand in the gap. I just want you to remember that this morning. He's going to provide. Last thing I want you to see from the text this morning, behold His promise. He finishes this text by promising this church, you keep your eyes on me, here's three things I promise to you. Look at verse 12, it says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to notice Jesus makes three promises to the one who conquers. That's the one who keeps their eyes, who holds on to Jesus through the difficulties. I will make him a pillar. To be a pillar is to be a permanent place in God's presence. Like he's going to keep you. He's going to redeem you. You are going to be with him at the end of the age. I will write on him the name of my God. Now, this, this may seem like a strange one, but don't miss what he's saying. He is saying, I'm going to give you an identity in God. And when the king himself writes his name on your body, it is this mark of him saying, you have an unshakable identity. Nobody can take it from you. Those of you who have a tattoo, it doesn't wipe off easily, right? That's the idea here. The identity given to you by God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit is not easily wiped off. It has you as much as you have it. And then he says, then I'll write on him, the name of the city of my God. This is Jesus' reference to eternal life. If you remember the text from last week, if you were here preaching from Romans 8, where Paul says, it's not worth comparing the suffering of this moment to the glory that's to come. That's what Jesus is reminding this church of right here. Like, man, it's hard. It's difficult. It is hard to follow Jesus in this world, but it is a thimble full of death next to an ocean of life. 
That's what he's bringing us toward. And the only way that these promises are possible for you, the only way you can grab onto these promises, it's not in a strategy, it's not in a system of behavior, no, no, it's found in a person. His name is Jesus. It's the one uttering the words to this church. Bryson, you go ahead and come up, dude. I want to ask you this morning, what if you've been beholding all the wrong things? Like, man, we just, we just talked about who the Lord is, what he's promised for a minute. And maybe this is the first time this week that you have thought about him and stopped thinking about how difficult and broken everything around you is. Like maybe you've been doing the navel-gazing thing where you're looking down at the ground and right now Jesus says, hey, eyes up here. I want you to meet my eye line. And the Lord Jesus says, I've got you. I'm gonna keep you. Jude verse five, one of my favorite in the Bible, it says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you from stumbling. Maybe you're in this morning and you feel trapped in cynicism. You're like, man, I want to get my eyes on Jesus, but I feel stuck. I'm cynical about what he's doing. I'm cynical that he even exists or that he's even real or that he even cares. If you're stuck in that place right now, I just want to, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to minister to your soul right now. Maybe you're walking and you're struggling. You need the people of God to gather around you, pray for you, encourage you. Ask the person who brought you to pray for you this morning. What if this morning you hear, yeah, Jesus, that, that promised future, that's great, but that seems so far away that it doesn't matter to the moment here and now. Guess what? Jesus is not just gone preparing a place for you in the future. He's with you now. He's with you now. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That's what he says. So this morning, New City, grab on tightly to Jesus. If we want our church to make a difference, we're going to have to look to him. If we want our lives to count forever, we're going to have to look to him. And I'm praying this morning that we just catch a glimpse of who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We need you. It's really hard to get our eyes off of ourselves and up onto the king. Frankly, I know in this room, there are things that feel way more real to each of our hearts than you do right now. And I'm praying that you would just impress your hearts upon us, Lord. We want to see you with fresh eyes today. Fill us with courage. Keep us from sin. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my friends, we don't just want to be hearers of the word here. We want to be doers of the word. And so I want to invite you now to a time of response. Response here in New City typically looks like three key things. Number one, we reflect. What was, what was God speaking to you through his word this morning? 
What do you need to receive? What do you need to believe afresh? What do you need to, um, what do you need to do in response to this word? Is there something he's calling you to do? Ask him, but wrestle with the Lord. Number two, we remember that the redemption that he purchased was a costly redemption. And that's when we take the Lord's Supper. So up here at the front, there are two stations. You'll find some bread and some juice. And this represents the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come and take the Lord's Supper today. It's where we remember what it cost him to redeem us. It's where we remember that as Jesus calls us to courage, that he went first. He went first. Number three, friends, we rehearse. When we sing in a moment, we are rehearsing the day that's coming where everything is set straight, where that longing will be fulfilled in him and he'll make the world right. And so I want to invite you to sing with joy this morning. You said, I love you. I love being your pastor. Respond when you're ready. Thank you.